Ireland is seen as the most attractive place to come to mine right now in the world. We're only the custodians of the earth for the time we're here, but like God, if we're going to leave it in such a bad state. After the gold rush, a rural Ireland has been selected as a green sacrifice zone by the global mining industry and what local communities are doing about it. Episode 2, A Greedy Gold Rush. There's a word that kept coming up in practically every conversation I've had with environmental protectors up and down the country of Ireland. That word was gold. According to my analysis, of the 400 or so current prospecting licences issued by the Irish state, 91% of them involve prospecting for gold. Gold is not a critical material for the so-called renewable energy transition, as Jacinta Van Roge so elegantly pointed out in our previous episode. As of 2023, the European Commission's list of critical raw materials includes copper, tungsten, cobalt, nickel, magnesium metal, platinum group of metals, manganese, natural graphite, germanium, boron, rare earth elements, titanium metal, bismuth, gallium, lithium, silicon metal, gold. It's not among them. This hasn't stopped the Irish state using so-called green, so-called renewable transition rhetoric to allow greedy gold speculators find even more ways to siphon money into their Bermuda bank accounts. On cue, Minister Ryan in 2023 justified the granting of gold prospecting licences in Mayo by saying, the transition to a low-carbon economy will require substantially more minerals and metals for use in new wind farms, solar voltage plants, electric vehicles, battery storage, electric networks, etc., etc., except it's not true. We don't need gold for that. Let's use some facts on some fake news, shall we? So-called renewable energy is only partly renewable. Wind turbines, solar panels and electric vehicles can demand up to six times more precious metals during the manufacturing process. Per gigawatt of installed capacity, wind turbines will require nearly one 120,000 tonnes of non-renewable CO2-spewing steel, 5,000 tonnes of non-renewable nickel, 1,500 tonnes of non-renewable copper, and nearly 300 tonnes of non-renewable, hugely damaging rare earth elements. And that's not even a comprehensive list of the materials required. Often made of fiberglass and other materials, a wind turbine's blades can be longer 
than a Boeing 747 wing and currently they can't be recycled. So they're buried building out the so-called renewable energy industry will require a jump in mining from 100 billion tonnes a year of materials to 170 billion tonnes of material a year by 2050. That's every year, 170 billion tonnes of material and growing for our so-called green transition. We'll be mining a Mount Everest and greater every single year from 2050 onwards. Because that's the mass of Mount Everest, 175 billion tonnes of material. The idea that this is sustainable or renewable is the big lie of the big lies. We are already devouring almost twice as many resources as the earth can sustainably renew on a yearly basis, with rich countries like Ireland devouring four earths of resources every year. We must reduce mining and energy consumption by at least 40% if we hope to maintain anything approaching a healthy environment. Back to gold. As Jacinta van Roge put it in the last episode, gold is for decadence and speculation. 80% of gold mined every year goes to the jewellery industry, 10% to financial speculation, and only about 7% to the entire electronics industry. It's also estimated that significant gold reserves are contained in old electronics devices that could be recycled if there was a genuine political will. We must reuse, repair and renew. Mining must be a last resort. Rosilda, my wife, is Brazilian. And when they talk about gold miners in Brazil, it's not in a nice way. The gold miner has a fever of greed, they say. He's a speculator, gambler, often a criminal, in for the quick kill and often ready to kill to make that quick buck. Angelica, Amanda Andrade, who lost a sister in the Brazilian Brumadinha mine collapse told me about how when the gold miners arrive in an area, there's bound to be trouble. Gold mining brings out the worst in people and brings out the worst people. Because of its size to value ratio and irrational allure, gold has a long, notorious history of illicit trading and all sorts of illegal activities. In Africa, there have been major gold scandals in Kenya and Zimbabwe in recent years. Iran and Venezuela have traded in gold to avoid sanctions. Dubai has emerged as a trading hub in the illicit gold trade. In Indonesia, Peru and Bolivia, gold has corrupted. In his book, 
Gold Laundering, Mark Piat, writes about the devastating environmental destruction, forced labour, human trafficking, land grabbing, stolen assets and money laundering that are so often associated with gold. So why is the Irish state aggressively advertising Ireland as a gold digger's paradise? Why of the more than 400 active prospecting licenses in Ireland are an extraordinary 91% of them allowing for gold prospecting? Gold mining is one of the filthiest, most destructive of greed-driven enterprises in history, poisoning the land and water with cyanide and mercury, out for a quick kill and a quick buck, its greed all the way down. And the Irish state, in the most cynical way possible, is promoting gold diggers as the new environmentalists, the brave new miners who will help us transition away from fossil fuels. What a con! Emma Caron lives in West Clare and moved there from the UK with her partner and son seven years ago. Struck by the beauty of the landscape of rural Clare and the need to protect it from the ravages of the relentless pursuit of economic profit, she joined the environmental campaigning group Future Proof Clare. The arrival of multinational mining companies in the county prospecting for base and precious metals is the latest in a long line of serious threats that the group has had to actively resist. She is also a member of CAIN, Communities Against the Injustice of Mining, and a representative of Clare Public Participation Network on a number of council committees. Please visit CAIM at CAIMnetwork.org. That's C A. I-M-N-E-T-W-O-R-K dot O-R-G. Well, here in County Clare, there are two companies that have prospecting licenses. One is Hannon Metals Limited. They have seven or eight prospecting licenses in the county, and they've held them for a number of years now. There is another company called uh, Mineco. They are a big international company. They have one prospecting license that has just been granted to them. And that is right. It's interesting. It's right in the middle of the prospecting licenses that Hannon Metals have. They will be prospecting for zinc and uh, well, other base metals, barite, gold and silver ores. Um, Hannon Metals are just prospecting for zinc and lead, as far as I know. So, yeah, so Hannon Metals, if you look at their website, they're boasting of all the amazing things they're discovering in Clare. One thing that is sort of flagged up as something that would be a real um, problem in Clare is the impact on the, the groundwater. It's very vulnerable in Clare. 80% of drinking water sources in mid and east Clare are from groundwater bodies, i.e. using below surface aquifers and bore wells for raw water prior to treatment for public potable water usage. And the Irish Water did a, a survey a while ago and they invited submissions and the Clare councillors put in a number of objections to the Irish Water saying that there were real issues with the vulnerability of, of water 
in Clare and things need to be done. And apparently Irish Water just ignored all the submissions. So there's a real concern about the vulnerability of, of water sources here in Clare. And obviously mining could uh, could very easily impact the water. In the draft regional water resources plan of Eastern and Midlands, which covers Mid and East Clare, um, mining is included as one of the predominant pressures putting the groundwater bodies at risk. So it's already recognised that mining is an issue, whereas at the moment nothing is being done to rectify that or to make the groundwater bodies in, in Clare less vulnerable. So obviously water is going to be a big issue if mining goes ahead. We are following the lead of Leitrim, the Treasure Leitrim group in, in Leitrim, who have been working with their council for a number of years and have managed to get the council now to adopt wording in the new county development plan, which includes a ban on the use of these chemicals. I mean, it's gold mining um, in Leitrim, so it's particularly cyanide, mercury, cyanide compounds that they want banned. So we are pressing the council here in Clare to do the same, to um, include this ban and to have stronger wording to protect the um, the health and the, um, the ecology of Clare from negative impacts of mining. So we're putting pressure on the council right now. We have a couple of councillors who are very much in, in favour of getting these bans in. The Irish government, as I'm sure you'll, you'll be hearing from other activists in Ireland, they are very proactive in encouraging corporations and big multinational companies to come into the country to do their business. And we've heard that the Irish government send a group over to a big Canadian conference every year to encourage mining companies to come over to Ireland. By all accounts, they really make it as attractive as possible for mining companies to come into the country. They offer tax concessions, um, streamlined permit granting, pragmatic environmental regulations. So I think they, they're very, very keen, obviously, on big mining companies coming to Ireland. And according to um, reliable sources, Ireland is seen as the most attractive place to come to mine right now in the world. The government are doing as much as they can to encourage mining companies to come in. They have recently um, published a new mining and uh, mineral exploration policy and I am on the advisory group for that, and so have been watching and reading and seeing the process unfold. And reading through the new policy, I am alarmed that under the heading social license, the government are doing all they can to really just to convince people, to persuade them that um, it's a good thing that mining is going to happen in, in, in the country. There doesn't seem to be very much balanced information there at all. It's not, it doesn't seem to be an opportunity to have an honest dialogue with the public about mining. It seems to be much more how to appease people, to convince them that mining is no problem at all, there won't be any issues, uh, mining's great idea. Um, if you read through the introduction to the policy, you'd think that mining was going to save the world, the way they're putting it, you know, as a mining can really solve us of all, solve all the problems that we have and we just need to get the mines as soon as we can. So they're very pro-mining and are very concerned that activists are, well, and just the general public, are worried about prospecting licences. They're saying, oh, it's nothing to worry about at all. Um, prospecting licences are not the same as mining. So one hand, they're just trying to keep activists to, to shut up, really, to, to get them to be quiet. And on the other hand, they're saying mining is fine anyway, you know, trying to convince the, the public um, before any mining takes place that everything will be will be perfect. You know, nothing to worry about at all. 
and my conversations with the department through the advisory group with the new mining policy, my sense very much was uh, just trying to really just 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 calm people down and say it's not a problem at all. Don't worry. Um, this is just prospecting and mining. Um, also, you know, don't worry about it all. Um, it'll, you know, just trying to smooth the way. That's the that's the sense of it really. It was only when there was a very small notification in one local paper just over a year ago saying that the minister, the department, Minister Eamon Ryan was um, was about to grant this license to Mineco Limited. So this this final, this most recent prospecting license, that was the first people knew really that prospecting licenses have been granted. So it looks from Hannah Metal's website that they have been here for a good while, but nobody really knew. And I think I have heard that some um, landowners have been aware there has been presence on their land, but they weren't approached. So it sounds like there have been people on their land, but they weren't told about it. So although the department are very you know, quick to say, oh, you know, people are always consulted, apparently that isn't the case. And there, there has been exploration going on without the public knowing. And one thing that's very alarming that a member of uh, Treasure Leitrim found out looking through the Mineral Act 2017, which is a new act here in Ireland, which I think has not even yet been, I'm not sure right the word, what the right word is for an act, but activated or something. It's, it's not, even though it's 2017, it hasn't yet quite been rolled out. But within that Mineral Act, there is on page 98, and it was it's point number 197 under injunctions, there is the um, the permission for a license holder to take an injunction out against a landowner who refuses the license holder permission to enter their land. So, um, and I, this obviously is very alarming and seems to uh, completely fly in the face of a community's right to say no, which is something which the government are very quick to say, and actually gives um, landowners no right to, to say no, to refuse people onto their land. And when I put this to um, a member of the um, department who I was in conversation with through the, um, the bringing about of the new policy, he said, oh, this never happens. Don't worry at all. This never happens. Well, that's no reassurance at all. You know, um, the fact that it's there and it's, it's legal, that is very worrying indeed. So I think prospecting licenses themselves have a threat for people. I mean, I, I have a figure here that Ireland is the 10th largest producer of zinc worldwide. If you look at, for example, at Hannah Metal's website, they clearly know that there is zinc here to be found. Um, they have the visual on their web page about Clare. They've mapped it out in great detail. They know exactly where the zinc deposits are. So, you know, the government is saying, and I've heard Eamon Ryan say it um, in response to a question in the doll, um, that, oh, it's a minuscule chance of, of them finding anything. Prospecting licenses are, you know, they, it's, it's kind of like a needle in a haystack kind of impression that he was giving. And then you look at um, a website such as Hammond Metals, and you think, no, it's not a needle in a haystack at all. It's not like a, a nail in a pin on a donkey's tail. They know where the zinc deposits are. They have it mapped out and they're, they're spending a lot of money. They've been doing it for years. They're spending that money not on a random off chance, but because they know there's zinc here to be mined. There was a quote from uh, Mineco. Mineco will engage with elected representatives, local stakeholders and landowners prior to engaging in any substantive exploration work on the ground. Mineco always acts in a very responsible, sustainable and environmentally friendly way. And as we move forward, 
we will conduct our work in a manner that is consistent with the government's policy statement on mineral exploration and mining. And it's that uh, policy I was uh, telling you about earlier that's incredibly pro-mining. So I'm sure it's uh, in line with the policy. But it's very concerning that Mineco Limited is a subsidiary of Dalradian, um, who are the, the gold mining company up in Sperrins that uh, Fidelma is saying they're having such trouble with. We have a global water crisis. How is the growth debt cult and the green growth delusion responding? In the US West, for example, private companies are buying up water rights and betting on scarcity and, where possible, trying to accelerate more scarcity so as to make those juicy, quick bucks. Think about the following. Just 3% of all the liquid mass of the earth is fresh water. Most of that is locked up in glaciers, leaving less than 1% for drinking and growing food. Three quarters of all disasters are water-related. Droughts are getting more severe and longer. Climate change has made drought 20 times more likely across the Northern Hemisphere. Already high demand for water is due to rise globally by more than 20% by 2050. Fresh water demand is expected to exceed supply by up to 40% by 2030. In the last 100 years, water use has grown at twice the rate of population growth. By 2025, two-thirds of the world's population may face water shortages. Every year, 80% of the total water withdrawn is wasted. About 50 litres of water are needed per person every day to meet basic needs. The average US citizen, however, uses almost 400 litres of water every day. About 70% of the mining operations of the six largest companies are located in water-stressed countries. In the Gobio Basin in Mongolia, 85% of the water available is used in the mining sector. In Chile, 500,000 gallons of water are required to mine just one tonne of lithium. The Rio Tinto in Spain, the Avoca in Wicklow, the Drish in Tipperary, the Rio Doce in Brazil, the Sonara and Bacanushi in Mexico are a tiny sample of rivers polluted by mining. The Taiwanese semiconductor company TSMC consumed over 150,000 tonnes of water per day in 2019. 190,000 litres of water are used to make a laptop, 13,000 litres to make a smartphone. Since 1970, freshwater vertebrates, including birds, fish, amphibians, reptiles and mammals, have declined by 83%. In the 1970s, as many as 1.7 million salmon came to spawn in Irish rivers. By 2019, that figure had dropped to 150,000, a greater than 90% decline. Ireland is recognised internationally as an ecological biodiversity desert. What's less known is that despite getting so much rain, Ireland is in the midst of a water crisis. 
By 2019, the EPA reported that there were just 20 Irish rivers in pristine condition, down from 575 in the 1980s, an incredible 97% decline. In 2022, the Irish Sustainability Water Network warned about the complete lack of progress that's been made restoring our polluted waters and how the government needed to urgently address Ireland's escalating water pollution crisis. In 2023, the European Commission announced that it would have to take Ireland to the European Court of Justice again for its poor performance in protecting water quality. And this is the country that wants to launch a mining bonanza and extravaganza for the mining oligarchs. Ireland used to be a country with a deep respect for nature. We need to rediscover some of that indigenous wisdom again that nurtures gratitude and respect, like the Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving address greeting to the natural world, which I first read about in Robin Wall Kimmer's excellent book, Braiding Sweetgrass. Here's a small excerpt about water. We give thanks to all the waters of the world for quenching our thirst, for providing strength and nurturing life for all things. We know its power in many forms, water and rain, mist and streams, rivers and oceans, snow and ice. We are grateful that the waters are still here and meeting their responsibility to the rest of creation. Can we agree that water is important to our lives and bring our minds together as one to send greetings and thanks to the water? Now our minds are one. Respect and gratitude. This is how we begin to heal the earth and ourselves. Mining has no respect for nature. Environmental engineer Peter Jar spent 30 years working on some of the biggest mining cleanup projects in the world. When it comes to mining on any scale, groundwater is gone, he told me. Old mines are likely to pollute for a thousand years or more. Almost 40 years after the Silver Mines mine in Tipperary was closed, a 2021 study found riverbed sediments containing lead concentrations six times higher than acceptable limits. In 2006, almost 25 years after the mine was closed, the EPA said that the Avoca River was one of the most severely polluted rivers in Ireland. A 2019 study found dissolved metal concentrations of aluminium, cadmium, cobalt, copper, iron, manganese, nickel and zinc all at elevated levels. Sulfate levels also greatly exceeded the criteria for drinking water in six of the seven monitoring wells, the report stated. But those were bad old mines. Lachine mine also in Tipperary, is paraded by the Irish state as some fairy tale mine which is sustainable, clean, organic, green, environmental, circular, whatever. 
it was claimed that the water that Lachine mine used was properly treated before it was dumped into the local Drish and Rossatown rivers, which are small tributaries of the sewer. Large quantities of copper sulphate are used in the zinc mining process. Too much copper sulphate is known to cause infertility and hormonal imbalances. Fish are very sensitive to copper sulphate, with trout being particularly so. The Drish River was well known for trout fishing. Testing of the riverbeds in the 2005-2008 to 2008 period found significant heavy metal accumulation. Other studies found high levels of zinc, lead and other heavy metals in the rivers, with elevated concentrations in fish. One report stated that an inspection of the Trish and Rossatown rivers immediately downstream of the mine water outfalls reveals the localised build-up of sludge with a high metal content. Word did get out to some locals. The trout caught could not be eaten, it was said. There was something wrong with the ducks. Over time, more health impacts were noticed. An unusual number of people who lived near the rivers complained of stomach problems. One woman said that she wouldn't even boil her vegetables with the local water. Out of a group of fishermen, more than half got cancer. One local man said, I don't know how common stomach illnesses are like Crohn's disease or colitis, but I do know that it's not as common as at least one person per household suffering from it. Fidelma O'Kane, who is up next, will also talk about the impact of gold mining on local water and how it further threatens endangered species. She'll talk about the local freshwater pearl mussels, Ireland's only globally endangered species. Maybe the New York investment bankers behind Alradian can order a bucket of these mussels before they go extinct to go down with their Irish steaks to be washed down with the finest brandy as they puff on their Texas hat-sized cigars, celebrating the fact that they've made some fast bucks destroying the Irish environment. Fidelma is from County Tyrone, Northern Ireland, where she lives with her husband, they have four grown-up sons and five young grandchildren. She was a social worker for 15 years and a lecturer for 23 years and is now retired. Fidelma is the secretary of the Save Our Spirits group, campaigning against the planning application of a Canadian exploration company, Dalradian Gold, for a gold mine and processing plant in the Spirin Mountains which are designated as an area of outstanding natural beauty. This Canadian exploration company came here to Northern Ireland at the end of 2009, the beginning of 2010. Not sure exactly because we didn't know for three or four years that they were here. They set up in our area, we're in the Sperns, and they opened an office. They got prospecting licenses covering 300,000 acres across counties Tyrone and Derry. That area was in the Sperns area of outstanding natural beauty. The chief executive of Dalradian, Patrick Anderson, uh, who lives in Toronto, he said, I'm not talking about a single mine, but a mine camp. Christmas 2014, we had heard that they were given out with this company that was given out Christmas hampers, free Christmas hampers. You had to just call at their office. And we thought that was strange because 
you know, you don't get a free hamper for nothing. And then they set up, that was 2014, they set up this um, community fund, what they called Dalradian Community Fund. And they were giving out grants and sponsorship and buying things for any, really anyone who applied individuals, groups, sporting clubs, charities, uh, schools, church people, um, really uh, people could apply for uh, money or sponsorship or a grant or whatever and get, uh, as long as they signed, that they uh, would allow themselves to be used in advertising purposes for Dalradian and they wouldn't say or do anything that you know against Dalradian. So we set up a group called Save Our Spurns in June 2015 and we did learn about, you know, we, we learned from other countries really that mining, mining companies set about buying the social license and that's them getting into favour with the local community and over the years Dalradian have got many politicians and community leaders on board through uh, you know through obviously um, well we would say through bravery but uh, through you know uh, you know curry in favour with them anyhow. January 2016, we saw the first article in the local newspaper saying that Dalradian had procured a site and were applying for a gold mine and a cyanide processing plant uh, near the village of Greencastle and County Tyrone. And uh, that really, you know, I think that alerted a lot of people when that was in the paper in November 2016, and uh, when they announced they were having a public consultation. The people went along to that, but Dalradian had no plans, they had no information, no feasibility study, no business case. All they wanted to, was to find out from people why would they be against a gold mine. And so we termed it a sham consultation and protested outside November 2017 when Dalradian submitted their planning application. And it was 10,000 pages, and it was the biggest planning application in the history of Ireland, North or South. They followed that up in the autumn of 2019 with a first addendum, and that had 15,000 pages. And then a second addendum came out in the winter of 2020. So we got an awful amount of reading to do. We started producing leaflets, information leaflets, and organising public meetings across Tyrone and Derry, and uh, and you know asking the public to come in to learn about it. And I suppose when people heard that there was prospecting licences across their land, uh, they wanted to find out. You know, had they any rights? Were they able to stop these people? And you know, we were telling people the mining company had to get their permission to go in their land, and that's when the mining company then started offering landowners money in order to get into their land to take samples of earth from rock or, you know, go down water samples or whatever. We were networking then with people nationally and internationally. And oh God, it was great. And especially over the whole COVID period, we learned to do Zoom and we were Zooming right, left and centre. Now we know people in so many countries and every continent and, and that we're retired people. But you know, thinking of our children, our grandchildren and the future generations, will they be able to live in the spares if this gold mine comes to pass, if they get planning permission? And what that's what we're concerned about. So really, 
Dalridian are talking about an underground mine that is 900 metres deep into the earth. They'll have to use explosives to blast the rock and that will have, you know, ammonium nitrate emissions and that is very poisonous. Okay, so they have to dig out thousands of tons of rock to get the gold. The gold just comes in, you know, wee specks or veins. It doesn't come in nuggets or, you know, bars that you'd see in films and that. And I think that, you know, getting that message across to people that thousands of tons of rock would have to be extracted. And then this rock contains sulfides or pyrite. And once it's exposed to the air, when it's brought out of the underground, and when it's, the rain falls in it, exposed to water, that produces sulfuric acid. And it's another name for acid mine drainage. And that, in turn, strips other heavy metals out of the rock, heavy metals like arsenic, mercury, lead, cadmium, chromium, copper, etc. whole host of them. And they're all toxic, really, to people. Dalridian in their planning application said, we need to cut the rock out of the earth. They will um, grind it down to the, you know, to the consistency of fine sand or fine. In fact, they actually say flour, it will be that fine. And then that will be soaked in a solution then of chemicals, whether it will be cyanide or otherwise, we're not we're not 100% sure. And initially they had said it would be cyanide. And in fact, their, fe their subsequent feasibility study said it would require a high concentration of cyanide. But in one of their addendum addendums, they said that, um, they could, that, that people seem to be afraid of cyanide. <laughs> Imagine people seem to be afraid of cyanide here. And um, although Dalradian would like to assure us that it's very, well, it's very safe and very well regulate it but uh, they may take it abroad the rock uh, you know the ore abroad to uh, for the cyanidation process but we would be very skeptical of their claim because the fact that they haven't removed the processing plant from their planning application and furthermore their feasibility study says it's, it's only financially viable if it's processed on site with a high concentration of cyanide the waste rock um, that were containing all these heavy metals, Dalridian say they're going to put it into what they term a dry stack facility. We call it a mine waste dump. But the, the dimensions of it are quite uh, unbelievable. 17 stories high, 54 metres high. And that they say that will be on top of Crockenboy Hill. This waste rock crushed to the consistency of flour on top of this mountain. Speaking to a professor in, in the States, and he said it is inevitable that it will slide down the mountain. He says it's a question of when. He says it's inevitable. They all slide, he said, and he says yeah. they all fail. Part of their planning application says they'll have to keep it dry so that the rain doesn't fall on it to produce the sulfuric acid to strip out the heavy metals. And another part of their planning application says they'll have to keep it wet so that the dust doesn't blow all over the countryside. And we were speaking to a Finnish biochemist called Yari Natunen, and he did a study around a gold mine in Finland at Katila, and he found a 2.5 fine particulate matter had blown to the, he found it on the leaves 
of trees 60 kilometers away from the gold mine in Finland. And he said that fine particulate matter contained arsenic and mercury. And he said that it was very dangerous to people because it would go into your lungs and it couldn't be removed and it causes respiratory diseases and cancers. And he said children were particularly vulnerable. So that really struck fear into our hearts, like to think of that the heavy metals and all will leak and leach into our water table. And we have two lovely rivers here, the own Kalu and the own Ray. And both are special areas of conservation because of the presence of freshwater pearl mussels, salmon spawning, otters and brown trout. But freshwater pearl mussels, they are Ireland's only globally endangered species. So, and they need really clean water. And if Dalridian is allowed to discharge into the river, that will be the end of the freshwater pearl mussels. And Dalridian have applied for two discharge consents to discharge 24, a whole toxic cocktail of 24 metals into the river. Their plan and application also says they will use 3.3 million litres of diesel on site per year for 20 plus years. Dalridian have applied to abstract half a million gallons of water per day from the bog or peatland surrounding their proposed site. They also say that even just to build their site, that they need to remove 74 acres of peatland for their infrastructure. And again, that's the carbon store gone. When we're supposed to be retaining and trying to conserve peatland, there's the community divisions because Dalradian has really, I suppose, what their offers of jobs and money to people. Uh, they have split the community and they have split families and neighbours. And we've got now the people who support the mine and we've got the people who oppose it. Now, the majority of people, to be fair, oppose it. The, the criminalisation of protectors. Now, People who oppose the gold mine, we call ourselves protectors and defenders because that's what we're trying to protect the earth and the water and our land and our health. This is a strategy used by gold mining companies throughout the world. And it's where uh, where we face petty charges, for example, aggravated trespass, blocking the road, resisting arrest. Um, we face these petty charges and are taken to court. And it's not that the court deals with it there and then. It's put off month in and month out. And, you know, so not only was our time used up in reading thousands of pages, now our time is taken up running to court. It's also costing us money, you know, with having to get a solicitor in that. Whenever we contact the police and report crimes against us, the police are very tardy in responding. And even when they do, there's no no crimes to tell us it's not a crime or you know the others don't face charges and, and yet whenever the gold mining company call the police the police are there within 15 minutes two or three car loads of them and we're the baddies you know three of our people have received death threats including my own husband as several have been knocked down by vehicles driven at them some of us have received threatening phone calls or sex calls. My husband received a call to see our children, like our children are grown up, but would be put in body bags. Some of the female protectors have been followed by suspicious cars at night. Many of us are ongoing, we're the victims of ongoing cyberbullying. 
How would a Canadian company know to come to the Spearns? The PDAC, Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, this is the annual conference I have in Toronto in March every year. We sent two people out in March 2018, I think it was 2018, and uh, to find out what was going on. And we got them uh, registered as um you know, prospectors <laughs> or investors, <laughs> and out they went, two young people, and um, they uh, they couldn't believe there was a stand, Ireland, open for business, and it was the United country, the maps had no border, and not that we were all happy to see that, but, uh, you know, there was a ge- geological survey, Ireland, and geological survey, Northern Ireland, were doing talks, and there was a minister, Sean Keane or Kane, K-Y-N-E, was there giving a keynote address and um, they had all this about the tax concessions and the pragmatic and, you know, and regulatory and environment planning and all streamlined planning and relaxed whatever environmental laws and more than a quarter of the whole country, the island of Ireland, and that only a small island, and that was known for, you know, its greenness and the clean water and fresh air and everything. It'll be toxic, a toxic place. The Northern Ireland Environment Agency had granted Dalridian a discharge consent to discharge nine heavy metals into our river that was a protected, no special area of conservation, supposedly protected. And the levels for some of the metals were in excess of the Water Framework Directive. After 23 months of going to the High Court in Belfast, the Northern Ireland Environment Agency conceded and the discharge consent was quashed. Professor Emmerman is a, a professor of hydrology in, this, in, in Utah. Dr. Emmerman said that he has worked in over 40 countries in the world and he said that the Northern Ireland Environment Agency was the worst he has ever come across. He said that they hadn't the right equipment to test the levels, the metal levels in the water. They hadn't used the correct formula. They had inaccuracies in their calculations. There was a list of of things wrong with them. And he said if there were his students, he would fail them. See, the problem is that the Northern Ireland Environment Agency, not only are they the people uh, that has responsibility for regulation, they also the people who have an advisory and consultative role. So they're advising the companies, companies are consulting with them, and they're, they're also the enforcement agency. So it's very contradictory, I feel, because I think they, because of their advisory and consultative role, they become the friends of the company. And then, then because of their regulatory and enforcement role, then that, that is completely weakened. It's all about inward investment and growth. This whole thing, the economy, uh, the GDP, and grow, 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 big, big, big. And like they don't seem to realize that our resources are finite. We've got to stop and look what's important. Is it not our health and well-being the most important thing rather than, you know, this grow, 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 greed, greed, greed. That's what it's about, greed. We're only the custodians of the earth for the time we're here. But like, God, if we're going to leave it in such a bad state, like, you know, what will future generations think? Fidelma challenges us to be good ancestors. And that I find truly inspiring. It reminds me of something I heard from Brazilian anthropologist Andrea Zuri, who said that we have an obligation to bear witness. 
bearing witness and trying to be good ancestors is not easy in a world gripped by the growth debt cult and the green growth delusion. Despite everything, Ireland, both North and South, has significant freedoms. As we'll hear from Eddie Mitchell from Leitrim in the next episode, if he was living in South America and doing the things he has done, he'd be long dead. Despite our freedoms, we see the same mining tactics that are employed globally by the mining oligarchs being employed in Ireland. Split the community and use the state to criminalise dissent. Propaganda and lies are a constant of mining. We are told that mining was bad in the bad old days, but that modern mining is so much better when, in fact, modern mining is so much worse. Modern mining is creating twice the amount of toxic waste than it did 40 years ago because ore qualities have reduced. Minerals can be extracted from lower quality ores today because of innovations often involving toxic chemicals. Modern gold mining, for example, is far more destructive to the environment because of its use of chemicals. Modern gold mining is not like old-style gold mining, which mainly used water to sift through the ore. The easy-to-get gold is long gone. However, due to the innovative use of cyanide and mercury, tiny fragments of gold can now be extracted from huge quantities of earth. Today, it is economically viable to get enough gold to make one gold ring by poisoning 20 tons of earth. Yes, 20 tons of earth for one gold ring. That's 99.9999% toxic waste. And it makes good business sense. As Fidelma explains, that waste will be piled up in huge tailing dumps on a mountain. And over time, that toxic waste will slide down or avalanche down the mountain, destroying everything in its path. And it will also have leached into the water table long before it slides. According to Earthworks, there are two ways cyanide is used to extract gold from ore. Heap leaching is where cyanide is sprayed over huge heaps of crushed ore in the open. Nice. Tank leaching is where the ore is mixed with cyanide in large tanks. The massive quantities of toxic waste are then put in tailing dumps, which, as we'll see in later episodes, are designed to fail. Cyanide is as nasty as it sounds. It kills the environment. It causes chest pain, breathing difficulties, confusion, dizziness, eye pain, headaches, vomiting, heart, brain and nerve damage. And for what? Decadence, greed, speculation. Mercury is considered by the World Health Organization to be one of the top 10 chemicals of greatest public health concern. When liquid mercury 
is added to a slurry of gold and ore. It binds with the gold. The result is heated. The mercury vaporizes and the gold remains. Huge quantities of slurry and wastewater are also left. Sometimes this toxic waste is dumped directly into rivers or on the land. Sometimes it is stored in tailing stumps, which are designed to last long enough for the mining company to extract the gold and liquidate its assets in some fancy legal manoeuvre. When mercury is combined with anaerobic decaying organic waste, it generates metal mercury, a more toxic form of the metal, which bioaccumulates in the food chain. You will be pleased to know that the greedy gold diggers who are salaciously eyeing Ireland are top-notch experts in company formations and deformations. Mercury poisoning results in blood and feces, highly sensitive skin, pink rashes, pains in muscles, head and stomach, resulting in often fatal damage to the digestive and immune systems the kidneys and the lungs. Mercury poisoning is devastating indigenous people in the Amazon and many other places, so that sophisticated, civilised people can speculate some quick bucks as they drip in decadence. Oh sorry, I forgot the Irish state PR. It's all for the green renewable transition actually, even though gold has nothing to do with renewable technologies. But you know that by now, don't you? As we'll see in future episodes, being an environmental protector is one of the most dangerous professions in the world. In simply trying to protect their environment, the communities in the Sperren are receiving death threats, cars driven at them, cyberbullying and more. What we'll also come to understand is that in Ireland, north and south, there are no official bodies whose true and genuine responsibility is to protect the environment. Dr. Stephen Emmerman, an eminent mining expert and associate professor at Utah Valley University, has said that the Northern Ireland Environment Agency was the worst agency he had come across in the 40 countries he has worked in. Fidelma told me about how mining interests wine and dine government officials in five-star hotels and how they all consider themselves friends and colleagues. I am reminded of a statement made by Dr. Paul Toner who was in overall charge of the Environment Protection Agency's investigation of Ockinish alumna in the Republic of Ireland in the 1990s, when he was challenged that the investigation might not be objective. His reply was stated in a plaintive manner, and he said, somebody must defend industry. Imagine that a senior executive from the Environment Protection Agency, seeing his role as that of a defender and protector of industry, which is exactly what these agencies' core role and duty is. They are there 
to facilitate the implementation of government policy. And if government policy is to promote mining in rural Ireland, then that is exactly what they will do. Ireland, North and South, definitely needs official agencies that are truly independent and whose true and genuine focus is the protection and enhancement of the environment. In the next episode, we'll hear from Anthony McNulty from Wicklow and Eddie Mitchell from Leitrim about how much threat the Irish environment is currently under by a state obsessed by its good standing within the growth debt cult, how the Irish state is determined to drive mining into every corner of rural Ireland and to carry out the initial prospecting in the most secretive manner possible. You'll hear how mining prospectors are being told to move everything in at night and move everything out at night and tell the locals as little as possible. Thanks for listening to After the Gold Rush, a podcast series about how rural Ireland has been selected as a green sacrifice zone by the global mining industry and what local communities can do about it. Please get active and spread the word. For more episodes, visit afterthegoldrushpodcast.com.